This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Keller's Garden Center and Landscaping Services. Winter is here, and I encourage you to save your back this year. Contact Keller's today and get a quote for residential or commercial snow removal. And also, it is never too early to start thinking about spring. COVID has put a delay on so many things. Do not delay in getting yourself set up with one of the best in the business when it comes to getting your yard looking its best. Visit Keller's at their location on Kern Street in Exeter, Pennsylvania, just down the street from Blue Ribbon Dairy, or head over to their social media pages for more information. Welcome to the PopGo Project Podcast, a platform for the discussion and discovery of arts and entertainment. We focus on highlighting people and events that add value to the world around us. Visit us on all social media platforms by searching The PopGo Project or visit our website at thepopgoproject.com. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for listening. live welcome to the show bob kelliger right is that how you say it that's right kelliger so um this is one of the uh the weekender files uh you know episodes of the the series and um you know it's funny i started doing those uh i guess a year ago and um they started popping back up on you know the facebook memories and things like that so i revisited them and uh, i'm like they were a lot of fun to do and um a lot of people had mentioned your name throughout. I think Rachel Pugh was one of them. Christy Greer, for sure. Um, you know, Joe Student had mentioned your name, not as part of this, just a, a side conversation via text. Um, Jim McDonald, obviously. And uh, I thought, you know what? I don't know Bob Kelliger, but uh, I believe you were part of the, uh, the start of the weekender. Right. So, John, I, I don't think we've ever met face to face, but I. I feel I know you a little bit because of the pages of the weekend. You know, you were pretty visible in that publication for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun at that uh, yeah. The newspaper. Yeah. So the beginning, if we, if we want to start at the beginning, um, Jim told the story. He, I, I tell it a slightly different way. Um, <laughs> and they say that at, at my age, memory is the second thing to go. Okay. Um, What's the first? So, <laughs> think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a text. All right. Uh, <laughs> All right. So I was uh, marketing VP. I joined the uh, Times Leader in 1983, uh, which was the dark days of, of the Times Leader. If you ever were able to go back and look at our market share, we didn't have any. Yeah. Um, so I came in as, as a circulation uh, executive and, and put some marketing programs in place and we, we became the fastest growing newspaper in the country from 1983 to 1986. And along the way, got the circulation lead from the Citizen's Voice, which was really, you know, the way I tell it, that was the first peg in winning the market for the, for the company. And then in 1986, I moved over to the advertising department. And, and Rich Connor actually made me manage both the advertising and circulation departments. <laughs> he said he couldn't take me out of circulation entirely. But... Um, the challenges actually weren't as steep on the advertising side because they were already off to a good start. Uh, what we had to do was uh, solidify. We had some weak uh, categories uh, in terms of market share. We had to shore those up. We had to improve the staff, the, the professionalism, and um, and really kind of take it to the next level in terms of um, um, advertising share dominance. So we did that from um, you know 1986 to about 1993, and um, I was getting a little bored at that point. We we really had had a good position in the market. It was still very competitive, lots of fun on a day to day basis. But two things came along in 1993. One was uh, Jim McDonald and the internet, and, and the other one, um, or the other one was the internet. Jim McDonald and the Weekender. So the Weekender. Here's my story about the Weekender. Um, I, I'm going around the market, um, and and I'm seeing this little newspaper pop up, and it's called the Weekender. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. Um, it didn't. It didn't have much in the way of editorial. But I used to take a copy of it into our staff meetings with uh, Dale Duncan, the publisher, and and I would say, guys, this thing gets better with every issue. 
It just gets, you can just see, you can see it getting to be a real publication. And then uh, along the way, I, I was out at the grotto in Harvey's Lake and, and I bumped into a kid who was delivering uh, weekenders to the, to the restaurant. And I stopped him and said, can, can you tell me a little bit about this? What is this weekender? And he said, well, my name's Jim McDonald and it, it's my paper. I started it up and uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. And he gave me in, in Jim's own way, he promoted the, the uh, publication. And I said, man, it's a cool story. Good luck with it. And I, I went into the uh, next staff meeting and said, we really have a problem because <laughs> I, I think this kid's really got something on the ball. Um, and he doesn't have much. He doesn't have much in the way of resources, but he still keeps making this thing better and better. Fast forward, suddenly the weekender disappears. It just stops coming out. And I said, oh, this is great. This is good. This is a good thing for us. And a couple months later, I bumped into McDonald. I was the uh, Times Leader executive he met on Public Square. And he was wearing a suit and tie and he was selling insurance. He left that part out. And I just, I remember I looked at him and I said, dude, you cannot sell insurance. <laughs> we, we can't have this. So I went back and talked to Dale Duncan and said, look, this, this kid's loose now. And, and I think he's a real talent. And, um, and the funny thing, the funny thing he told me about the weekender, I said, I always wondered, why did you do it every other week? It was called the weekender. Why didn't you do it every week? And he said, well, I was losing a little money on it and I could only afford to do it every other week, which, which is really interesting from a business standpoint. So um, Dale, Dale blessed it. And I, I called McDonald and said, look, what would you think? This is a totally different from your direction, but what would you think if you had a, a media company behind you to do some of the things that, that you, you really don't enjoy, like billing and ad production and, and, and those things? And what if we what if you had our resources, but we let you do your thing with the weekender? And he said that would be a dream come true. So the next day we met in my office. I handed him a dollar bill and made him scribble out an agreement because I didn't want any problems later on about ownership. So we bought the weekender from Jim McDonald for one dollar and probably the best investment the company ever made. So we you know you've met Jim, you've talked to Jim. Uh Jim is he he's he's larger than he appears. He he has incredible charisma. Um he um he just celebritized himself in that market. And in doing that, he celebritized the weekender. He made the weekender, in my opinion, a celebrity in the market. It was something new and exciting and fun. And we did not get in his way. So um, it just to fast forward, I, I'll stop telling stories and, and let you ask questions. But um, a couple of years later, the paper is now owned, the Times Leader is now owned by Disney. And uh, Mark Contreras has taken over as publisher from Dale Duncan. And we used to print really off the wall letters to the editor. We would print pretty much anything that came in because we needed to fill space. And, and I think um, that the weekender in that market was a, was a, it was an entity for people who marched to a different drummer. So we published a, a, this totally off-the-wall letter. Um, this kid had, um, how can I do this for prime time? He had, he had added a very creative ingredient to the um, turkey stuffing at the family Thanksgiving dinner. And it was really gross and it was really over the top. And, and we published the letter as we received it. And um, didn't didn't think much about it. I, I didn't look at anything before it went to press. So I read it in the paper along with everybody else. Oh, geez, we're going to hear about this. Well, some enterprising woman who apparently was a fan of the Citizen's Voice um, managed to get a letter with a clip of the of the letter, the, the article on Michael Eisner's desk. Uh, Jim said uh, Bob Iger. He was president of, a, of Disney at the time. But uh, Eisner was the man. He was the chairman of the board. And, um, and she got this thing all the way to Eisner's desk, and he sent it on to, um, to Contreras in Wilkes-Barre. And, you know, Mark started in, and he, in the typical, you know, stud, corporate stuff, he said, we're going we're gonna to have to change things. We're going to have to review letters to the editor in advance. I want you to print an apology. And, and I said, stop. I said, I, I've got something to do. I'll, I'll be back shortly as, as soon as I finish. And he said, what do you have to do? And I said, I'm going to go close down the weekender because the direction we're going here in this conversation, that, that's not the weekender. And if we do that at this point in time, it, the, the, the product will fail. We, we can't do it. it. It'll be different. It won't be the same thing. And he said, hang on, don't do that. He said, let me, let me just give this some thought. So he came back a day or two later to his credit. And he said, look, 
I hear what you're saying. Um, they're not firing us at this point. So, you know, go ahead and do your thing. But would you please look at the articles, look at the content that's going in the weekender before before it publishes? So I agreed to do that. I had to stay up late for a while. And, you know, I did it for a while and then stopped doing it. But that was that's a story that um, really maybe hasn't been told until right now because I just didn't want to freak people out at the time with uh, with how close we came to closing it down. Yeah, well, I had no idea like how you know important you were as far as you kind of found Jim and Jim found you by almost like by fate. Um, that's that's an interesting, and it's funny that you got ex- exchange a dollar. What a, what, a what, what an investment! What a what a yeah. what a the, ROI the is it called? Became quite profitable, and we we didn't really anticipate that in the beginning. Um, th- this was not part of any grand plan on my part, but as we started the to formulate the weekender and build out the distribution system and, and really start to get ready to do it, um, it occurred to me that it, it might be a brilliant um, competitive move in the war between the Times Leader and the Citizens Voice because in 1993, the Citizens Voice still had an incredible stronghold with bar and club advertising, bar club and restaurant advertising and also automotive advertising. They had 95%. John, this is incredible because the Times Leader had become the dominant paper, but the other paper had 95% of all the advertising lineage for bars, clubs, and restaurants. Isn't that amazing? And um, they had a thing called back page advertising. It was cheap. It was easy. The, the, the clubs and restaurants liked it because they only had to advertise once in this two newspaper town, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it worked. And they had about guess they had about 60% of the ad, the ad lineage for uh, auto dealers, which was very concerning to me because auto is very important. And it's where a lot of a lot of the dollars come from uh, for a daily newspaper. So in launching the Weekender, we changed the game because now the citizens, they had this new entity and suddenly, you know, every week we've got more bar and club advertising. It's starting to become the marketplace very quickly. So the Citizens Voice kind of took their eye off the ball and focused on the Weekender for a while. They hated the Weekender. They had, and, and the day I heard that they were running weekly training sessions to sell against the Weekender, I, I knew we were doing something really good because we got their attention. And they just kept helping us and helping us. Um, it, I don't know if it was folks who worked there, but certainly friends of friends, um, friends of ours, uh, were vandalizing our papers. And with a free distribution newspaper, the important thing is not how many copies you sell because you're not selling them, but it's your return rate or your pickup rate. Mm-hmm. And it's usually expressed as a negative. So in the beginning, we had 20 to 30 percent returns because we were putting these things out there. People didn't even know what it was. They didn't, they didn't even know they should pick it up. They didn't know where it was in the, in the bar. And, and then the vandalism kicked in. And all of a sudden, our, our copies just started disappearing. I remember there were places where I'd put 100 copies. I'd go back the next day. They were gone. And at first, I would think, ah, great. Everybody's picking it up. So I put 100 more copies. And the next day, they were gone. So what was happening was we were getting vandalized. And, and the vandalism was widespread enough so that we were down very quickly. We went down to a 5% return rate, which became a huge selling point to the advertisers because we said, look, we're putting these things out here. 95% of them were being picked up and read. Right. So this is this is extremely extremely popular. This is where you have to advertise. So it all kind of came together, and um, and we did very well, very quickly. Jim talked about the uh, incursion into um, Scranton, into Lackawanna County. That was his idea. Uh, he felt that if we established it as a regional paper to begin with, it would have more strength. Um, we were somewhat successful up there. We never got a ton of advertising, but it gave us more readership. Um, some of the some of the clubs in uh, Luzerne County said they were getting more crossover traffic from Lackawanna County, which historically had not happened much. So a uh, good success story. But when I talk about it, I always talk about McDonald because there's no way we could have done it without him. He, he was, he was the spark plug. He, he seemed to work 24 hours a day. He was in the club bars and clubs every night. That was his lifestyle. Anyway, tremendous rapport with uh, advertisers and he was bringing in advertisers who had never had spent a dime in the times leader. So pretty happy story. That's the, those are the early days. Yeah. I wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, this, the weekender kind of helped the times leader uh, gain ground on the citizen's voice. And 
I don't know if that was a strategic, well, it wasn't strategic. It kind of happened by itself. Right. But like, that's a common thing, like, even like with radio stations where if you have, um, you know, some of the clusters have like three or four different stations. So they'll ha- they'll take one that's not as strong and try and, and kind of mimic, um, what listeners would be on a, on a, a more powerful station just to kind of chip away at that, that top dog. So their other station can kind of, you know, come from behind almost. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an interesting, uh, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, way it played out. But, um, and what was your role in, in the weekend or, you know, is, is outside of, you know, yep. um, <laughs> buying it from Jim McDonald for a dollar. So John, we, we made a couple decisions early on that I think were important. And, and we, I think we made the right decision. Uh, one was that, um, Duncan encouraged me to, to install myself as the publisher of the weekender. So if you go back to those early issues, the first year or two, it'll say Bob Kelliger publisher, right at the top of the masthead. Um, I, I didn't really feel I needed that role. I felt I was more in the background, uh, just helping to provide, you know, run some interference with McDonald as he developed his plan. But um, so I was publisher. The, the other key decision was to not mention, and I had to fight for this one. We did not mention the parent company or the Times Leader anywhere on the pages of the Weekender. Very conscious decision. Um, Jim Jim had a way of demanding things without demanding them, but but he felt that was going to be really important. And uh, I don't know if it really mattered in the end, but you know, because everybody came to know that it was our an arm of the Times Leader in a sense. But um, I, I think psychologically, the separation was important to him. To yeah. really, we promised him he'd get to do his own thing. He wanted to make sure he did, and and that was that was one of the ways we did it. As publisher, um, I had some really uh, menial tasks. Um, my my background was heavily in newspaper circulation, so I I had I had the skills to go out and set up a distribution system very quickly. And I remember it was so much fun because I, I was getting a little bored with Times Leader stuff at that point in time, and now I was out just driving around the market all day every day and talking to talking to retailers and, and talking to restaurant owners and um, trying to convince them that we should uh, we should have our paper in their in their place of business. And, and I remember one day I came back and I, I'd been out on the road for about six hours and McDonald's said, man, you, you really look beat up. You know, I said, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm talking to these people and we don't have anything to show them. I'm just talking. I, it's just words, you know, and they said, well, what do you, what do you tell them? And I, I, I kind of ran through it for him and he said, Bob, he said, just tell them it's an arts and entertainment magazine. <laughs> and, and that was magic because he knew, you know, I, I was using words like alternative and, and I was being a little too descriptive. And when we said it was an arts and entertainment magazine, who, who can argue with that? You know, that's a right. good thing for the community. So, um, so we put it in there. Um, once we got started, we, I remember we had um, there was a tire shop in Kingston, and Jim. We, we couldn't get carriers in the beginning, so Jim and I were always out delivering thousands of these things. And um, he would do the Kingston route in the, in the first in the in the first weeks, and. Um, he would go in there and these three guys would run out when they would see his car, they would run out and take the weekenders from him and they would, they would rip open copies and they would give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down on the model of the week. Sure. And we, there was another thing that very early on that anecdote told us we were onto something that these people would, would stop putting the tires on the cars and run out to get, to get the copy of the weekender. The other um, informal poll that, that Jim and I relied on was the paper would hit the streets on Wednesday and Jim and I would always go to lunch on Thursday and we would try, we would go to one of the lunch places downtown where the tables were close together. So we could kind of overhear what people were saying. And if they were talking about the weekend or say, and basically what we would hear is, did you see what they printed to this week? And if we heard that, we knew we were doing well. And if we, if they were talking about sports, we knew that we had to, we had to up our game a little bit the next week to get people's attention. So in the beginning, the, the MO of the, of the weekender was shock value. Uh, we did, if you go back and go through, I wanted to do it this week, but my copies are at my mother's house in Levittown in the attic, and I didn't get there. But uh, if you go back and look through the early issues, you will see full frontal nudity several times in the first year. Um, you will see a model of the week who was dressed only in her pet boa constrictor. <laughs> Think about that. Yeah. 
and you will see you'll see the f bomb literally liberally used throughout the throughout many of the issues so uh we didn't we didn't back off on that and a lot of it we would question ourselves sometimes and we knew that we were doing it for shock value because if we didn't get the shock value people weren't going to be buzzing about it on thursday at the lunch tables and people weren't going to be picking it up off, off the free distribution points we knew we had to do risky things to get to just drive this train in the beginning i think that happens a lot with you know startups where you you push the envelope and, and you really you have to do that in order to to get people talking like you're, you just said when obviously that didn't last forever when did that kind of like slow down well mcdonald i believe i think you've got the history mcdonald left in 96 and I think that's, I think Tom Oberzut took over for him as general manager. And Tommy was, he turned out to be a great ad manager, ad salesman. But his background was a daily newspaper editorial. He came out of the business department of the Times Leader. So um, just a little more. And, and then Sarah Starr was in there. I forget if it was Tom and then Sarah or Sarah and then Tom. But Sarah and Tom had worked together in the in the business department. In fact, now that I think about it, I think it was Sarah who told me, look, this kid Oberzoot, he doesn't have a high profile. He's a, a second stringer in the business department, but there's something about him that could really, he could do this. And she talked me into, when she left the paper, when she left the weekend, or she talked me into um, elevating Tom to, um, to general manager, but they were both people with journalism cred. So they weren't as rough around the edges as McDonald, uh, in terms of content, <clears throat> McDonald and the first editor we had, we plucked out of the uh, promotion department of the Times Leader. Her name was Lynn, um, and um, she didn't have any any news background whatsoever or any journalism training. Um, we actually wanted her in the editorial position because we wanted the book to look good. We wanted to have wanted to really snap. We wanted pages that look great. And again, I think if you go back and look at the early issues, you'll see her influence in that. But she didn't know. People would come in with an idea, and she'd say, hey, that sounds interesting. Let's do something with it. And, and that, made, that made the paper very, very different from, from a, a, a straight news publication. Yeah, that's interesting that you know, it kind of changed hands, I guess you could say, and it, it in turn changed vibe, or I don't know what you call it. And John, by 96, we didn't need to do it. We didn't need to shock shocking all people right but i mean i guess and i think the world changes too and, and things kind of have to go that way but i think by the like the end of the weekend or end of its life i mean it still prints today it's, it's prints once a month now on a thursday i don't understand any of that um <laughs> i'll get your opinion on that later if you want to want to share it but um i don't know by the end of its life i, I think it just got really safe so it's really cool to hear how in the beginning it was just like it was the Wild West almost. We had nothing to lose. Right. We, we thought from week to week that someone would decide to shut us down. So let's have some fun while we're here. Let's really make our mark while we're here. But you, I think, you know, I, I listened to part of the McDonald interview and, and, you know, as Jim tells it, it was great while he was there and then it just died after he left. It, it's not that simple. I remember going back, this was perhaps, I, I was in Philadelphia now and, and starting about thinking about starting Philly Edge. I hadn't been back to Wilkes-Barre in a while and I went back and I think Rachel was running the show and I think maybe you were the editor. Um, and I, I went out and picked up a copy of The Weekender. I think it was a, a Valentine's Day edition or, or maybe, maybe the Model of the Week edition, the Model of the Week party. Anyway, it was 88 pages. We'd never, we'd, we used to do 32 pages back in the day. So this thing was like 88 pages. It was fat yeah. and, and it was a high advertising percentage. So I think at that point, you would probably double the profitability of, of the best of the McDonald years. And we were making money then. But I, yeah. I, think, I don't know if Rachel took it to the next level or if it was your team or, you know, Christy and then Ray, I don't know who got it to that point, but I, I had been out of touch with it and I went back and I was just so proud and so happy to see this fat newspaper on the, on the newsstands with all this advertising lineage. 
Yeah, for the record, I was never the editor. I I started as an intern, and then I was in the marketing department, and then I was in sales, and then ad director, and then eventually the GM. Um, I, I mean, I think what happened is, you know, from a financial standpoint, um, you know, it, it was it was in its heyday. You know, you're look, you're talking early two thousands, even to the mid two thousands. It wasn't until I think two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when the economy kind of shit the bed. That's when revenue wise it really took a turn for the worse just because you know i remember when you when you said a full page ad was six hundred dollars no one would even bat an eye it was like here you go here's cash whatever you want to do we want to be in this but when that happened in 0708 it was it turned into um almost uh it was a people like named their price people couldn't afford it so we were scrambling and we were trying to get whatever we could and you know, the $600, you know, page ad turned into, okay, well maybe it's 500 now. And here's some added value as well. It was just, it was a different, um, scenario. It was like, at one point we had the power and then overnight that we kind of lost it. So you went, you really went full circle back to, to where we were in the beginning, because, um, one of the hallmarks of, of Jim McDonald in building a business was he did not have rate card integrity. <laughs> and I remember one time he came into my office to talk about the Woodlands. And I said, look, man, why don't you just go tell them that we'll pay them <laughs> to run their ads? Because his point was, we really, if we get the Woodlands, we've got it all. You know, we, if we got the Woodlands, everybody's going to see that and, and other people are going to follow. It's kind of the marketer's dream. But uh, I won't tell you what we sold some full pages for back in the, back in the first year. Well, yeah. I mean, at that point, yeah, you're just trying to build what you can. But yeah, I got to a point where, and then I think we, you know, when you when you're making that money and you have to, you know, reach these sales goals every month and all that kind of stuff, like that forces you to be safe too because you have things to lose. It's like, well, That's we true. can't piss off the Woodlands if they pull their advertising. We're, you know, we just lost fifty grand a year. And That's right. you, so you become like, more mainstream whether you like it or not. Yeah, and that's always the the. The, the kind of crappy thing about it it's just like it's part of the game i guess you know and i guess it's with anything you know when you're young a young man like you know in your early 20s you're full of piss and vinegar uh and you don't care and you're invincible all that kind of stuff and then you grow up and it's like all right now i've got a house i got a family i can't you know i can't i can't get fired so let's let's be safe and make sure that you know i can put food on the table for the kids it's like a it's an interesting story. Um, yep. but By the way, I, is Rachel Pugh really 50? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I wasn't sure. I, I like to, to pick on her for being old. Yeah. I think she's 44. I think she's 44. Still a kid. Yeah. But, um, so you left in 96? 98. 98. Yeah. So I stayed on a while. Um, I wound up, you know, uh, Disney, after saying, saying they would never sell the newspapers, immediately put them on the block. And um, Knight Ritter bought the newspaper. And Knight Ritter at that time, I think, was the second largest newspaper group. So we really went mainstream corporate in terms of um, the newspaper industry. So Knight Ritter bought the paper. And, and I was involved in some Knight Ritter marketing efforts where I rubbed shoulders with execs from a lot of the other papers. And I had grown up in the shadow of Philadelphia in Bucks County. And I got to know um, a couple of the top execs at the Inquirer and, and they offered me a job as national advertising director at the Inquirer. And at that point I had been in, in Wilkesbury for 15 years, it, definitely the, the most exciting fun times of my career by far. But I was just ready for a change. Uh, we had three kids who were about junior high school age. They were ready for a change. And um, we moved back to Philadelphia and, and dug in with the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then after that, um, I got this incredible opportunity to be vice president of advertising for a top 100 web company. This was before the dot-com crash. So, um, so in 1998, we, we moved back to Philadelphia and we're, we're still in this area. Um, who was in charge when you left? Contreras. Okay. Uh, Mark Contreras took over from when Dale Duncan became a regional executive um, for the newspaper group. Mark Contreras uh, came in from, um, I think Mark had worked at Fort Worth in Kansas City, and he took over as, um, as publisher. 
And were you, Christy Greer, Christy Greer Sarudi, I should say now, um, she spoke about you. What did you know her? Was she around? Yeah, because she had worked, I think she had worked in both editorial and advertising at the TL before she went over to the Weekender. So I knew her in that role. Okay. And then was delighted when she uh, took over the Weekender. And, um, you know, fast forward a few years, I was, I was, um, um, digital um, director for Calkins newspapers out of Levittown in Bucks County, back in my hometown. And um, I, you know, I, of course, I never forgot the Weekender story. So I, I told the um, family that owned Calkins that we could do, we could replicate the Weekender experience in, in Bucks and Montgomery counties. And, um, and they blessed it. They said, let's do it. They were, they were looking to expand into things other than daily newspapering at the time. And, um, and Christy agreed to have uh, Christy agreed to have lunch with me. So we met in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, and um, and this won't surprise you. We were there for three and a half hours, and um, and and I was just I left that meeting with Christy just electric with excitement uh, because um, you know these people like McDonald and and and, and Greer and I I think uh, Rachel as well. They're really special people. They're they're just they're you don't meet too many like them in your lifetime, and the ideas that that Christy had and the enthusiasm that she had, and I remember she talked about a guy named Joe Student, <clears throat> and I had heard that name because I'd seen it in the Weekender, and I always thought it was made up. I I thought it was just like a a, 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 a an imaginary character. It turned out there was actually a guy named Joe Student, and she had made him editor of the Weekend. <laughs> so we wound up. Um, we recruited Christy, who then recruited Joe to come to Philadelphia and start Philly Edge. And I, I was excited this morning because I knew I had a shirt in my closet. I thought it was a Weekender shirt, but it's a it's a darn uh, Philly <laughs> Edge shirt. So anyway, there's kind of a connection between the two publications. Yeah, when I was an intern. I mean, I had, and still to this day, but um, the most respect for Joe Student. Um, one of my favorite, my favorite stories about Joe Student, um, and I wanted to mention earlier because you talked about circulation and and people uh, taking newspapers. Um, when the Diamond City came out, I think it was Diamond City. Um, they would sometimes put their um, stacks of papers on top of the Weekender piles. And it was, uh, I was an intern and I think I got called in because we needed help or they needed help getting some of the newspapers delivered. And again, I was like a young kid. I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, when I was an intern, I'm like one day, it was funny. I said, one day I wanted to be the GM of this, this newspaper. And it was like one of those things like, you know, I'm a young, young kid. Like I just, you know, had this, you know, it was something you said, right. It was wild that it actually happened one day, but, uh, it was, I want to, it was a grocery store. Joe went in to drop off a stack of papers and he went in with a stack and came out with a stack and he opens the back door and he throws the stack of papers into the back, back, uh, back of the, the van and he's cursing. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? And he's in, he said that, you know, the diamond city had put their papers on top of the weekender. And I, from that moment, I was like, this guy is the man. Like this guy is, I mean, it, it was such a cool experience and it was, and everyone had that passion of, for the weekender and that, that pride for the weekender. It was a, just a, an amazing thing. And I, I still to this day said, you know, I came like this close to getting a weekender tattoo just because, you know, we, we, we lived it and we breathed it. We, you know, we, it, it was just something that everyone that came in those doors they were all in. And I haven't really, I mean, the position I'm in now, the company that I'm with kind of, I kind of have the same vibe, but you know, along the way, after I left the weekender, I never quite was part of something like that until just recently. It's just like it just people, like they loved it, you know, and even the, you know, the consumers loved it the same way. Um, and it's just a, it's, it saddens me to, to, um, see what it is today. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. It's the internet, you know, hands down, probably the number one culprit. Um, and we never found out, we never figured out a way to, um, you know, go digital, I guess you could say. I mean, we tried, there was, there was different things we did. We, we tried like weekend recessions and we had a lot of online content, but when we tried selling that people just still weren't, 
uh, sold on, you know, what that was and why they should get on board with it. So. So on Christmas Day, 1993, I discovered the Internet. <clears throat> Someone had given me a disc that I put into my computer, which was our family Christmas present that year. And uh, by the end of the day, I was on the Internet and um, and had the epiphany of my life. Went in Monday morning, went into Duncan and said, there's this thing called the Internet. And it's not only going to change newspaper publishing, it's going to change everything we do. It's going to change the way we live our lives. And it's going to be the, the most important invention of all times. And he said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but we should make, if it's that big, we should make an investment in it. So just, you know, do a business plan, figure out, tell me what you want to do. So, um, <clears throat> so we did, we created LeaderNet, which was an internet company. It wasn't, it wasn't a website. It was an internet company. And we proclaimed ourselves to be the internet experts in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I remember in the first year we built websites for advertising agencies in Luzerne and Lackawanna County, which even at the time I thought was insane because that was their business. They should have been all over that. They should have been building our website, but instead they were coming to us because they just didn't know what to do with this thing called the internet. And um, this is a weekender story because what happened is, of course, I immediately, as we got things rolling, I said, we got to get the newspaper online. There's already a couple newspapers are already doing this. And, and they said, oh, it's slow down, man. You know, slow, typical publisher approach, slow down. Don't, don't get crazy here. So it, you know, it became a thing that was in committee and we would meet and we would plan. And the, the editor was just, you know, and just editors just didn't want, they wanted this internet to go away. So meanwhile, McDonald came to me and said, we could be the first weekly newspaper in the country to go on the internet. And I said, well, it's, it's not that easy. And he said, why not? We could do it. We could do it next week. And he convinced me to just do a ragtag website with some weekender content. And we proclaimed that we were the first weekly paper in the country to go online. I don't know if we were or we weren't, but we proclaimed it and no one challenged the claim. So we were the first weekly newspaper on the internet. Did you know that? I don't think I did. No, <laughs> no, it, it's it, it, Jim. And I, I kind of said this same thing to Jim about, you know, not getting enough support from, you know, ownership about, you know, they wanted you to sell digital, but they, they wouldn't, you know, help you financially. And he kind of slapped me on the wrist and said, no, you just gotta, you just gotta do it. You gotta make it happen. Right. And I felt like a schmuck. <laughs> Like you're right, you know you, you are right, and we did. We did try. We 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 created a lot of content to to drive people to the website and you know to to gain the the views and all that kind of stuff. But we just couldn't get people to buy in. Well, the pity is that um, in 1993, the newspaper industry as an entity had the resources to own the internet. You know, we we could have been Google, we could have been Yahoo. We there was nothing. Other than we didn't really have the technical chops, but we could have bought those, and uh, publishers didn't do it. You know, as you know, they sat on they sat on their profit margins, they harvested their profit, and um, and stuck a toe in the water when it came to the internet. And yeah, we wanted guys like you to deliver big time, but we didn't give you the resources to do it. It wasn't just Northeastern Pennsylvania; it was the whole the whole world of uh, publishing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the weekend recessions. We we put we did a lot with those um, with no with no uh, no budget. You know, we had, we were using interns for help, and you know, we were shooting footage on, on a dock at Harvey's Lake. It's still one of my favorite moments uh, as far as what we did with that. Um, you know, that was kind of headed. So video, by, you were doing video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of headed by uh, Mike Lello, who was the editor at one point for the. The weekender. Uh, he was with the Times Leader prior to that. Um, did a lot of cool things there. Like, I mean, and I keep saying, you know, even we were doing um, videos. It was called Party Favors, and that was kind of uh, a video documentation of like what was going on. You know, in the week ahead, we were talking about you know what's happening at Tinks and things like that. So it was a kind of a digital component to the, the newspaper and the newsprint um, that Rachel kind of focused on, and then we had. Um, was called Weekly Dose that Nikki uh, Mascali and Mike Lello had. It's also a digital component. Um, and we, no one was doing that stuff, you know, back then when we were doing it. Um, 
I mean, not locally, not not in uh, NEPA at least. But I mean, I think I think we were ahead of our time, you know, at that point. You were, and that's a lot of heavy lifting without much in the way of resources to help get it done. Zero. It really was zero. You know, and Rachel is the GM, and she's the one, you know, um, doing these promo videos. And not that she complained at all. Like we were, I mean, we kind of you know build ourselves as these you know local celebrities and. Um, you know, when you walked into a bar, I mean, you know, the first drink was free. It was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. But so, what did you do after you left? I know you mentioned uh, the, the not the dot com, but so Philadelphia Inquirer dot <clears throat> com world, and then um, I, I had an old acquaintance, Gary Short, who had been the publisher in Allentown for a long time. And uh, Gary had been hired to be CEO of Calkins Newspapers, Calkins Media. And um, he said, man, I really need somebody to bring. They're doing a lot of stuff on the Internet, but they really don't have any direction. I need somebody to kind of pull it all together. And I know you're having fun at the dot com. But and he, he was a pretty wise guy. He knew that he knew that dot, a lot of the dot coms weren't going to make it. He says, he said, when you get bored, give me a call. So about six months later, I called him. We had lunch. Uh, he made me an offer. I became digital director for uh, Calkins, which was a pretty big deal for me career-wise because they had um, television stations. They had invested heavily in uh, in some regional television stations. <clears throat> so I got to work on that side of things. And um, eventually Gary left. Um, we folded Philly Edge uh, because the support kind of waned for it in the, in the company. <clears throat> and I went off to become digital director <clears throat> in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and that was fun because they had um, they had tr in addition to the daily newspaper, which is the dominant paper in Lancaster, they had trade publications and also um, a pretty robust lineup of uh, radio stations in Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. So I got to work with radio stations on a day-to-day -day basis, <clears throat> and that was fun. And it was sort of like doing Calkins over again because. Lancaster was, a, they had lagged in terms of their commitment to uh, digital. So when they brought me in, they were doing a bunch of stuff and they had websites, but they, they really didn't have a business plan. They really weren't making money <clears throat> with the internet. So that was, that was a real uh, fun assignment. And um, I turned, I turned 60 while I was at Lancaster. And when I turned 60, I realized that, um, you know, I, we used to say back in the old days, we used to say, well, we don't have to party now because we did so much partying. We did a lifetime of partying by the time we were 30. Well, it was kind of like that for me with corporate bullshit. I, I turned 60 and I said, I, I can't take any more corporate bullshit. I've had a lifetime of it. And I'm, I'm not, re I'm not a retirement age, but I can't, I just can't do it anymore. I was done. Um, so meanwhile, I had, um, I had gotten a little notoriety within the newspaper industry because we started a full service internet advertising agency in Lancaster and housed it apart from the newspaper. We, in fact, competed with the newspaper for advertising dollars. That was very revolutionary back then. Um, and so I was, I was on a speaking circuit going around to conferences talking about how to do this and how to make it work, how to get corporate support for it. And um, it occurred to me along the time, about the time I realized I couldn't take any more corporate nonsense, I realized that I knew everything that I needed to know to start a local digital advertising agency and I had ties to the fifth largest city at that time in the country. So I moved to Philadelphia and started a, a digital agency, Burgundy Digital. Um, we thought that would be a very memorable name um, because people, baby boomers associated it with Ron Burgundy. Mm -hmm. So um, so I did Burgundy Digital and then got a call very quickly um, from a guy named Mike Blender, who ran the Blender Group and who is now publisher of editor and publisher magazine, which he bought a couple of years ago. and. Um, <clears throat> Mike did sales training for daily newspapers that were trying to figure out the internet. So it was a perfect matchup. And he, he said, you know, I've, I've known you for 20 years. I've always wanted to figure out a way to, that our names could be associated together. Why don't you come to work for me? And I said, no way. You know, I'm, I started this agency. It's just getting off the ground. And he said, all right, why don't you do this? Uh, come down to Alabama. I'll be there in a couple of weeks and um, just come down and hang out with me for four or five days. I'll show you what we do. And, um, and he knew, he knew that when I saw what he did and did it up close, I remember I, I accused Mike of setting this up because the first time I went out into the market 
to sell these digital programs with the newspaper, we signed up the first four. So the first morning that I ever did this kind of work, four for four, the first four signed up. And I remember I called my wife and said, I, I found what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So for the last uh, 12 years, I've, I've done that kind of work for Mike and have worked in every state in the lower 48 and had a lifetime of experience in that short period of time. So, and a wonderful ease into retirement job because when I started with Mike, I was on the road 40 to 45 weeks a year, which was crazy. And then I cut it back to 35 and then 30 and then 20, you know, and now if it's, if it's one week a month, that's a lot because the demand for that business has dropped as the newspaper industry has uh, weakened uh, along the way. So uh, COVID came, uh, there was no work. Um, so I uh, learned to play guitar. Uh, at the age of 69 and uh, that's what I do now um, I drive Uber because I, I I grew up with a very strong work ethic and I hate the idea of not doing something productive now and then sure. so with Uber I have total flexibility if I feel like driving today I'll go out for a couple of hours and if I don't feel like it I'm, I'm retired today <laughs> uh, but I, I've played guitar every day for the last two years uh, I've learned over 300 songs I have a set list haven't done a paid gig yet but I do have done some free gigs at my mother's nursing home. And um, it's a whole new, um, for anybody who hasn't done this, whether you're 20 or 60, um, learn to play an instrument. Um, it, it, it will expand your life immeasurably uh, and, and bring you great joy, uh, even if you never play in front of people. So, I was going to ask you, I saw your, your evangelizing, Bob. Yeah, your profile picture had, had, a, had a guitar with you. I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like you lived a, a successful life and you're still rocking and rolling. Life's good. You too, man. Yeah. I mean, J pop. I don't know. I call you J pop. Did anybody ever call you that? No. No. You ever just got to be a rapper? You're, you're there. You, know, you got the name. <laughs> J pop. All right. I like that. <clears throat> J pop. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the, what I said earlier? And if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, but uh, the weekend are being so like it stopped printing right before the pandemic. It just kind of stopped, right? Yeah. Um, and then obviously during the pandemic, it, it ceased to exist. They may have like updated the website, you know, once every month or whatever it was. But maybe, oh, maybe I can't keep track of time these days. Maybe it was, it may have been six months now, but they brought it back in, in you know, print form and they do it once a month and they put it out on a Thursday. And I, you know, when I saw that happen, um, and this is no disrespect to those that are there. I mean, I, I know they're trying their, their, their best and I don't want to come off and seem like, you know, I'm, you know, poking fun, but I just don't understand it. Just let it die. John, the only thing I can assure you of is that we'll always have our memories. Yeah. They're not going to take that away. Um, and, and, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? Has anyone jumped into the void? Anyone? Not, not in a print format. I mean, there's yeah. a NEPA scene. You now, Rich Howells, he was the editor for me when I was the GM. Um, yep. He was uh, released of his duties, I'll say, you know, after I had already left, maybe two years after I left. Um, there was a change in hands and uh, they asked him to leave, which was unfortunate. Um, but he started the NEPA scene, which is, um, no. uh, an online uh, publication, so to speak. I got to plug my computer in. My wife didn't, uh, she was using this and didn't, hold on one second. So for me, the, the interesting question is, could you, um, could you cruise into Northeast PA today and, and do something like the weekender and be successful? I don't, I don't know the answer, um, but um, I'm sure other people have thought of it. Um, we had we had things in the mix uh, in that in those magic years that would be hard to replicate. And perhaps the most important thing was the sheer force of a Jim McDonald. Yeah. And and I think if you look at the people that went after him, they, they they're all. I mean, I could write a book about each of them, but but McDonald was the guy who could go into the corporate boardroom and just blow everybody away, and just not take no for an answer. He told the story about not being allowed to, to um, expand into Allentown. 
and, and that was really crushing for him because it was one of the only times in that whole story about the, the McDonald weekender when, when he had to accept no for an answer. So he usually wouldn't do it. He wouldn't accept no. And if you, if you told him no, he'd come back in a week with a little bit different plan, a little bit more enthusiasm. So, you know, where do you find that? I mean, they, it, there's not a lot of that around. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he thinks that there's still like a, a place for it or something like it. Um, but you're right. It might take a Jim McDonald to, to do something like that. I, I'm too. I'm, yeah. And, and, you know, if it's just a little startup with a couple people that wouldn't have the, um, I mean, it was important that Jim had the times leader backing. It wouldn't have happened without that. We took all the, all the stuff he hated to do. We had people to do, yeah. you know, we, we had people to do the billing and collections. He hated that. Uh, we had people to do the ad work, you know, the ad production, the production, the printing, you know, so it, it would be tough to replicate that set of circumstances, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a, and it's a different world. I mean, the, the amount of venues and the amount of entertainment is, I think, far less than it used to be back then. Just yeah. Dif- different world. Could you do model of the week now? That's what I was going to say. You mentioned earlier. After McDonald, after McDonald left, you know, there we are. We've got a, we've got a female general manager. The next thing we're doing, you know, we're doing male of the week. Yeah. And we just laughed because we said, I'm sorry, you know, but it's not going to have the sizzle. Um, so, you know, we did, we did model of the week. That, that was another thing that, um, you know, the, 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 the competition helped us so much. We, we had a set of photos that came in one day and McDonald said, you got to get over here and look at these. these. These are amazing. And this guy had photographed his girlfriend in a kind of a sports bra and a Lycra, Lycra shorts, just a wholesome young woman. And, and he photographed her in all these locations at the courthouse. And we went, we didn't just print one picture. As I remember, we printed four or five of them because they were so good. And one of the, unbeknownst to us, one of the photos, she was in front of this monument. And the monument was from, um, there were like 14 guys who were on a troop train during the Korean War. And they, they were from Northeastern Pennsylvania and they all died. They, the train crashed and they died. Um, so the, the citizen, now who knew, you know, the citizen's voice as, as, as focused on us as they were figured this out and they were writing page three stories for a week about the community being, being up in arms about this. Um, I mean, what is into that even? Is it, I thought it was neat that she would be in front of the thing. I guess I just didn't get it. You know, either you get it or you don't. And, and they whipped up with people into a frenzy. And I remember how our, our take rate increased dramatically just in a couple of weeks, because now people who hadn't even, they didn't even know about the weekend or now they had to see it because the, our competitor had made it such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't do model of the week now. And yeah. Would you, would you, you wouldn't even do that. You would say, no. you know, we're just a, we're just a bar and club paper. Maybe. Yeah. Entertainment nightlife paper an arts and entertainment magazine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before I let you go, favorite weekend or story or memory? Hmm. Right. So I'm going to tell the first issue story accurately because oh. those that have gone before me have, have left out some details. Okay. Um, so, you know, there was much thinking about what do we do? What, what, what's the content going to be in this thing? So they came to me a couple weeks ahead and said, um, we, we're all going to go skydiving. So I said, great, that sounds like fun. So they, this lasted, this whole thing about high adventure was a thing. I remember corporate people saying, make it more about high adventure. <clears throat> so the staff went skydiving. And, and I don't remember what the, the, the photography, I don't remember who did it or what kind of equipment they had. The photos to this day are just mind-blowing because it's, it's the weekender staff one by one in free fall with this gorgeous blue sky. They had the most perfect day to do this. And, and it's this blue sky and these people with frantic looks on their faces, you know, McDonald and, and Lynn. And so they brought this to me and they laid out all these photos and they said, isn't this great? And I said, this, this is fantastic. So, so this will be the cover. And they said, well, it, you know, it's under, it might be, yeah, it, we're, we're thinking, we're not sure. We're, that'll probably be a last minute decision. So what they weren't telling me, was because I think they thought there were some things I was just better off not knowing. They had been working on this in-depth story 
about students at the University of Scranton, a Catholic university, mind you, who were strippers at night to earn money to pay for their college education. This was a brilliant story. I didn't know anything about it. So they found this woman who agreed to be interviewed in depth, and she was the basis of, of the story. And the first weekender comes off the presses, and I remember I was distributing it, and I look at this thing, and it's a picture of a stripper on the cover. And, and she was a quite attractive young woman. And she told a true story about this. Well, a couple things happened. Number one, her parents didn't know the story up until then. Um, number two, she was a dead ringer for a young woman. We had two account executives at the time. Jimmy was really the, the, the ad sales force. But we had two people who kind of ran after him and picked up the copy. And there was a young, a very attractive young woman on, on our staff. And this woman was a dead ringer for it. So much so that when we published it, everyone assumed that it was a picture of our ad rep. Everyone, including her father. Oh, no. So her father virtually disowned her. This is not the stripper woman. This is our ad rep. Right. Her, her father disowned her, and we had to get involved. I think McDonald actually called her dad and, and walked him through it and said, it, you know, it's really, it turned out to be an unfortunate thing. We didn't realize until we saw the picture how much it was going to look like your daughter, but it's not her, and she has no connection to it. So, so that, that's my favorite story, and, and they, did it, they did it without my knowledge. They surprised everybody, including me. And um, I think what saved us from being shut down that very first week was, and I don't remember who wrote the story, but it was incredible. It was just an incredible story. You had to read it. You had to read every word. You know, great, great content. Great content is great content. And that kind of put us on the map. It's so funny that the first issue was a stripper on the cover. We got kicked out of Turkey Hill in 2005 or six because of... Uh, I don't even know if it, I think it was a man's butt and, and a woman had her hands around. I, I think that's all it, it was, or it was reversed, but I mean, it wasn't like there was like really no skin. It was just a butt. And it just was, wow. yeah. Kicked out of Turkey Hill. In 95, we were still running nudity because I, I covered, um, you know, I, I had never, I decided when I was 12 years old, I wanted a career in newspapers, but I had never written anything. And then I, with a, with a weekender, I got to, not only do distribution, but got to got to write some stuff. So I was our correspondent uh, to Woodstock '95, and I took about 200 pictures. I had a cover. Uh, the Mud People from Woodstock '95 was the, the cover of the following week, and we did it. We devoted a whole issue to Woodstock '95. But we had uh, some of the Mud People pictures were, were the, they were totally naked, and we didn't. By that time, I think people knew that that's what you were going to see in the weekend. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, things got. Things got tougher as time went on. Yeah, I mean, I never, I didn't start reading the the uh, Weekender until two thousand one. I guess it was. I was eighteen. Yeah, eighteen. Uh, it was when I, you know, kind of moved out. Of, well, just started college, and I just, it was more. I was grew up in the country, and distribution. I don't think made it that far at that time. And maybe, and if it did, I just didn't. I just didn't see it. Um, but yeah, when I started college, I, I would see it because I was like more in town, Wilkes-Barre area and Kingston and things like that. And I remember reading it and it was always great. And I remember just picking it up to see what bands were playing where and just mad that I couldn't go to the bars to see them play. I wasn't 21 yet. But yeah, when I started as, as, a, as an intern, I was like, this is, I, I'm, I'm in. Like, I need to work here when I'm done, you know? Did, when, when you came aboard, did they still run the... Uh the band schedules is free content. That was very controversial in the beginning. Well, we had, yeah, we had a, uh, it was a, it's called Coors Live. Was that? We, we had pages and pages of just listings of who was playing where. And it was free content. It wasn't paid. It was very controversial oh, yeah. because the folks, the, the Times leader wags said, well, that's free advertising. Mm -hmm. And McDonald very intelligently said, okay, but, if, if we're running your basic entertainment listing in our paper every week, don't you think you're more likely to do some paid ads with us? He yeah. turned out to be right. Yeah. I think, I, I don't know if it got condensed to the Coors Live or maybe it was just two separate things I'm thinking of, but wait, the Coors Live is one page, or maybe yeah, it was one page, sometimes two, because there's so many, but it just had a list of like, you know, it would say Arena Bar and Grill, the uh, 
disband and, and so on and so forth. But that was quite extensive. It got to a point where I think we tried to keep it in one page and then it got like the font was so small at times because there were so many in, in there. But well, we we devoted a lot of manpower in the early days because the, the the bars were not calling us. <laughs> so we not only did we run it for free, but we we had people who worked full time basically calling the uh, clubs and getting the information. Right. That was, was a very controversial part of our early marketing plan, but I think it worked out. It paid off in the end. I think so too. Well, I'm glad you had fun at the weekender. I'm glad uh, I got to see you face to face. This yeah, is how no. we opened Christmas presents in our family because we had a family member with COVID this year. Oh, so really? No one was even able to be in the same room. Yeah, that's and, uh, We found out it works pretty well. Yeah. It's, it's the next best thing to live. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you opened up your wallet and, and took that dollar out and gave it to Jim. That's a good move. Talk about, talk about ROI. You bet. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. appreciate the stories and I appreciate the timeline uh, of all of it. It's, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And I'm, well, thank uh, you. Thanks for doing this. It's brought back so many memories for me listening to some of the earlier interviews. Yeah. I mean, um, and in no you. offense, I just, I never, outside of, you know, Christy mentioning you and Joe, I was like, I don't, yeah. who's this Bob guy? Dif- different eras. It's amazing how that works. It's just kind of like it's yeah, it's these segments of of time that you know it's, it's this group, it's that group, it's so so it's nice to be able to kind of honor the, the those who kind of started it. So thank you very thank much. You. Great, and, uh, and uh, take care and stay safe, and maybe I'll see you around sometime. Hope so. All right, sounds Be well, good. Keep All up right. the good work. Thank you.